In downtown Chattanooga, there is a church called First Centenary United Methodist Church, and it is a, a unique building in many ways, and part of its architecture lends to its uniqueness and beauty. Uh, there are stained glass windows that are sort of the feature of the sanctuary of that particular facility. Behind the, the altar or chancel, there is a three-story stained glass that basically tells the story of, of the Bible, the biblical story on the outside, the gospel in the center. Then in the transept to the left, a transept basically is kind of the cross feature of many sanctuaries, kind of that extension area. On the left-hand side, there is stained glass that are Beatitudes, and then in the back, in the narthex, in the very back of the sanctuary in that gathering area, the narthex area, there are stained glass that tells the story of the church, the story of the United Methodist Church, and some of the story of First Centenary. Those windows are extraordinary. I was, had the great pleasure of being pastor there for a period of time, and one of the great things of preaching in that sanctuary was that when somebody got bored with the preaching, guess what? They could look at the wind and still hear a good sermon. <laughs> it's a much better option than I thought than just going to sleep. So, maybe we can keep some kind of stained glass window here to keep your attention this morning. Today we are beginning our Lenten series of sermons, and we're calling it the stained glass stories. These are stories or parables told by Jesus during the final week of his life. Now, if any of you were really alert and heard the Scripture lesson this morning, you found that where it was in Luke's Gospel, you may say, well, Dwight, that wasn't the last week of Jesus' life. Well, that version, of course, in Luke is found in a different location, but in Matthew's Gospel, it is located in that final week of Jesus' life. And these stained glass stories, these parables, <clears throat> contain what is like stained glass, these shards of glass that in their raw form are rather sharp and sometimes abrasive. And you saw some of that today, or you heard some of that today as Jonathan was reading because it talked about slavery, it talked about being beaten, it talked about being cut in two. And all those ideas are very foreign to and somewhat uh, uh, offensive to our contemporary ears. But yet, as stained glass is put together, it creates a picture, a portrait, that communicates a powerful story. And so it is with Jesus' parables, particularly these parables of the final week of his life. They create these portraits that alone they may feel odd, they may feel abrasive, they may feel offensive... And yet, they share stories that, when heard, can transform our lives. So I want to invite you to join me and Pastor Jacqueline as we go on this adventure of talking about these stained glass stories. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us so that we can become a part of these stories and find the love and transformation found within them. Stained glass stories. In the parable that Jesus told today, it begins in a rather unique way. Peter asked Jesus a question. And he says, Lord, is this story intended for us or intended for 
everybody else. Now, that's just like Peter to ask a question like that because Peter no doubt wanted to know, should I be listening or not? Very practical on Peter's part, you know. And maybe that's the way you are when you come on a Sunday morning. You wonder, Dwight, is this sermon for me or is it for my spouse? And so Peter asked this question. The us in that, of course, is the other disciples. These were a part of Jesus' intimate circle. Jesus, are you talking to us? Or are you talking to everybody else that's out there in the congregation? Now, that's always an important question when it comes to a parable. Because quite honestly, parables oftentimes have a different audience in mind when they are told by the master. So who's this parable for? But what's fascinating, in this particular instance, Jesus does not give Peter an answer. It's as if he just kind of ignores Peter altogether and goes on telling the story. Why did Jesus do that? But I think Jesus was very intentional in his actions here because he wanted Peter to answer the question himself as to whether or not the story was for and about him. And let me tell you, anytime we hear a parable of Jesus, we need to ask the question, is this parable for me. Now, sometimes you might think it's for your next door neighbor. Sometimes you might think it's for your spouse. Sometimes you might think it's for your enemy. But the real question is, is this parable for me? So again, I would encourage you each week as you hear these various stories, ask the question, is this parable for me? Lord, are you trying to say something to me? Am I somewhere to be found in this parable? Am I in this parable? Now, as this particular parable unfolds, Jesus gives a sense of who the audience is as he tells the parable. He talks about a house steward or master who is responsible for caring for everyone else in that household, all the other slaves in that household. This person has the role of being a manager over the rest, caring for the needs of others, being sure that people do what they wanted to do. And then Jesus talks about slaves in general. One's in charge and one's doing the work as slave. And so as you begin to unwrap that, you can think of how that applies. You see, today as we gather here in this place, as a church... There are some among us who have special callings, special roles, and special leadership in the life of the church. Those are like the household managers as they care for and as they relate to others and as they try to help see the ministry of the church is carried out. And Jesus is speaking directly to those persons, to pastors and to staff and to uh, lay leaders in, in the congregation and to leaders in the congregation. But then there's another part. All of us are expected to be, who follow Jesus Christ, are expected to be Jesus' servants. God has something in mind for all of us to do. 
There's roles in ministry. There are things that God wants you to do, regardless of how old you are, whether you're a child or whether you're 90 years old. God has in mind work for you to do. So in a sense, right up front, and even in the telling of the story, and as we as a church kind of look back and relate to this particular story, this story speaks loudly to us. Let's start looking at this story for a moment. There are several shards of glass that are put together to create this story. One of the shards of glass in this story is the return of the master. The return of the master. Now, Jesus used this particular shard of glass in many of the parables that he told. He told a story about a wedding where the bridegroom was long in arriving at the wedding. He told about a couple of other stories about this same scenario of where a master goes away on a business trip for a period of time and then returns. He, he told about a, a, a person whose son was getting married and returns. And so this theme of going away, the person that's over things, and returning is common in Jesus' parables. But quite honestly, many of those parables seem a little bit strange to us until we kind of put it into our own context. So now if you happen to work for a company and you have either an owner of that company or you have a supervisor in that company and that supervisor or that owner of that company has to go away for a business trip, you kind of know what it's like for the boss to be away. If you're a student... You've shown up for class, and a substitute comes before the class and says, Miss Smith is not here today, she's homesick, and I'm not sure when she will return. And then all the students know, boy, this is going to be a good day today. You know the old expression, don't you? When the cat's away, the... Oh, I'm leery of y'all knowing that expression. That tells me something about this congregation today. And so that's kind of the theme of this story. The cat's away. Will the mice play? The cat's away. The master's away. Will they play? The master being away, you have to ask the question, well, Jesus, who is the master? Who's the master that's being talked about in this story anyway? Now, when you look at what Jesus had to say, and you look particularly at last week of his life, you quickly can come to the conclusion that Jesus was talking about himself. You see, Jesus had been telling his disciples for some time before the end of his ministry, before Calvary's cross, he'd been telling them, he says, I am going away. He said, but if I go away, I will come back. And so this theme of the master going away is a part of Jesus. And, of course, we now, from our perspective, know much of that story because we know that Jesus had a last week. He died on the cross. He was embalmed, put in a grave. Three days later, he arose from the dead. He was seen among people for a 40-day period of time, and then he ascended into heaven. And Jesus said, I'm going to return. The master will come back. 
This idea is central to our Christian understanding about Jesus. Jesus went away, but the Master, the Lord, is coming back again. This idea is written into some of our central liturgy as United Methodists. The Apostles' Creed, we talk about Jesus' return. From thence, talking about him being present with God in heaven, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. In the communion liturgy, we don't always use the full liturgy here, but many of you are familiar with that. If you go to the sanctuary, we commonly use it nearly every, every first Sunday when we serve communion there. But in that liturgy that we use, it's called the Great Thanksgiving. There's a part where everybody responds in that service, and it says, the mystery of faith, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ Christ will come again. And if you're ever doing that liturgy, be sure to emphasize the will. Christ will come again. That's central to our faith. The Master is returning. What's He going to do when He returns? When Christ returns, He will set up God's ultimate kingdom. God will make all things right. He will be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. God will set up the perfect system. And justice will roll down like a mighty river. And God's grace and love and steadfastness will be everywhere. And we'll gather at the Lamb's feet. Christ is the master who will return. But there's a little other twist of the story. And it is that Christ, Jesus, often makes presence with us known in significant ways. And you never can predict when that's going to happen. It might happen while we're gathered on a Sunday morning for worship. It happened just a few weeks ago at Asbury College in Kentucky when there was this mighty move of God's Spirit and there was revival that happened. It was unplanned and Jesus just decided to show up. A portal from heaven was opened up. It may happen when you're going through the deepest, darkest struggle of your life and Jesus is present in the room with you. It may happen when you're all alone, it may happen when you're rejoicing. But there are these occasions when Jesus shows up and you don't know when it will be and you can't predict it, but the master returns. And so, this parable is about being ready for Jesus' return. Whether it's ultimate return or whether it's these manifestations of Christ in our lives being ready. Another piece of glass in this story is about being faithful and thoughtful. Now, the scripture reading that Jonathan shared with us, the word thoughtful wasn't used. It was the word prudent. Some translations use this word as uh, 
uh, as wise. And these are all good words. And, and really for me, the, the best word that, that Greek's trying to communicate here is a sense of thoughtfulness. It's about living a thoughtful life. Do you know that God expects you to use your brain? Can you imagine that? God wants you to use your brain. He wants you to use it in a thoughtful way. Who is, Jesus asked, the faithful and thoughtful house steward? That question is the fulcrum. It is the hinge upon which this whole story swings back and forth. It's clear that being faithful is about continuing to do what the master has given one to do, regardless of where the master may be. If the master is present, great, be faithful. If the master is away, great, be faithful. If you sense God moving in your life and you see God intervening, great, be faithful. But if you sense God is far away and your prayers don't feel like they're being answered, be faithful. Over the past three years, the Christian community has been through a season of testing when it comes to COVID. It has tested nearly every one of us to see if we will remain faithful to and for Jesus it's tested our commitment to being a part of Christian community. It's tested us about being active in our service to Christ and to others and about our sharing of our faith. It has been a huge test of faithfulness. And then the second part is being thoughtful. Being thoughtful. Being thoughtful. Living the thoughtful life. Jesus, in another place, offered this. He said, be as wise as snakes, but as innocent as doves. The words there, be wise, the same Greek word is here, be thoughtful or prudent. Wise, thoughtful, clever thoughtfulness that leads and guides our lives. And here in our story... The steward, the house steward, the manager of others failed the test of thoughtfulness. Are you passing the test of thoughtfulness? Now, what's interesting is, in the story, he didn't fail to think. He just thought wrongly. He had what I call stinking thinking. Okay, have y'all ever heard that? Stinking thinking. Jesus, in telling the story, says, the, the household steward said, my master is long in returning. Okay. He was thinking, but his thinking was screwed up. When you and my thinking gets screwed up, we are going to head down a bad trail that's going to mess us up, and we won't like where we end up. And that's was what was happening to this household manager. His thinking was messed up. It's, Jesus says that the steward 
began to beat the servants he was responsible for. In other words, he used his power to abuse others. Then he began drinking in excess. Now, whether that was just he was out partying and, you know, just getting rid of all of his responsibility, or he's trying to, an escape mechanism, I'm not sure. But anyway, that's what he did. And he justified these in his mind because the master was slow in coming back. Now, in this story, probably all of Jesus' audience and probably nearly everyone gathered here this morning would say, I would never do that. If I were responsible, I would not abuse others under my charge. I would not just abandon myself to kind of a, a, a wild living lifestyle. But yet, Jesus in telling the story wants us to know it's easy for any of us to go there when our thinking gets messed up. When your thinking or my thinking gets messed up, it's easy to go there. We may not beat people, but we can become highly critical of others. We can treat people poorly. We can put down certain groups. We can put down certain folk. We can do great harm to others. We can turn to forms of escape. We can turn to forms of, of trying to satisfy our own personal desires for our own personal needs and end up in a bad place. All of this greatly hinges on our thoughtfulness. Say that word with me. Thoughtfulness. We are not to live impulsively or to rely on earthly sage wisdom. We're not to depend upon that which tells me this is what I want for me now. There is a higher way to think, a higher way to be thoughtful. There is a way of wisdom that comes. Paul talked a little bit about this, and he said, set your mind on things above rather than things on earth. Those words that are translated set your mind, guess what, are the same word as be thoughtful, be wise, be prudent. There is a heavenly thoughtfulness that will make the difference in your life and in my life. On the other hand, earthly thoughtfulness, self-centered thoughtfulness, will lead to places not so pleasant. The last shard of glass I want to mention is about consequences. The shard of glass about consequences. There are rewards for being faithful and thoughtful, and there are consequences or punishment for not. Jesus said that the faithful and the thoughtful are blessed. There's a blessedness that comes from living a faithful life. There is joy in being faithful. There's something about lying down at night and knowing that you lived that day for Jesus, that you did what Jesus wanted you to do, and that your life is being lived for Him. There's something joyful, satisfying 
and blessed about being faithful. There's a blessing that flows when others see you living faithfully. It inspires them to live a different kind and style of life. It gives them hope in their life with Jesus. There is a blessedness that comes from being faithful. And then ultimately, when all's been said and done, and Jesus blows the final whistle, and he looks you in the eye, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a blessedness. There's a blessedness of thinking rightly to put on the mind of Christ, to set your mind on things above, to allow the Spirit to guide your thinking rather than to be lost in your own desires and doing what the Bible talks about of I do right in my own eyes rather than what's right in God's eyes. There is a blessedness. But there's also a flip to this coin of consequence. Now, I'll tell you, we as United Methodists, we like to emphasize grace and we like to emphasize mercy and we rightfully do so because there's a lot of that to be found in the Bible, in the church, in our theology, and we rightly do so. But there is a consequence for being unfaithful and thinking wrongly. And Jesus points that out here in this parable. And the punishment that he talks about of being unfaithful steward, that the unsteward servant was to be cut into pieces, to be cut into, and to be beaten. Now, that sounds rather harsh. And you know, well, I wonder, should we really take that literally or what? But I think Jesus wanted to get this point across. There are some native consequences when we fail to live faithfully and thoughtfully. Some real consequences. I don't know that we really should take these in the literal sense. But pointing to the lack of faithfulness and thoughtfulness, it does bring destructive forces into our lives. This idea of being cut into pieces or being cut in two can also be understood from its language and how Jesus told the story of being cut off. It's a form of exile from the community. And if you go back and trace Hebrew thought, this is the worst kind of punishment to be cut off. What happened in the garden was they were cut off from this access of the presence of God because of their lack of thoughtfulness. They thought, we can be know the difference between good and evil by eating this fruit, by taking our own shortcut. And they were cut off. And when we fail to live thoughtfully and faithfully, we're cut off. We're cut off from one another. We're cut off from God. And the punishment... Israel. So, let's go back to the beginning of the parable. 
Who's this story for? Who's this story for? I know it's for me as a pastor, as a leader, as a follower of Jesus. How about you? Is it for you? Will you live thoughtfully and faithfully and experience the blessedness that comes? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for an example of faithfulness and thoughtfulness that you gave to the world. Now, Lord, let us look at you Focus our eyes on Jesus and help us to run with perseverance, with faithfulness and thoughtfulness, the race that you set before us. And all God's people said, Amen.